welcome to episode 10 of the Never Ending Glory podcast. Yes, that's right. We've made it double-digit episodes. I am your host, Luke Grilly, and of course, as always, I'm here with my co-host, Jerry Burris, who... I don't need to explain why, but he's de- he's depressed, he's dejected, he's down in the dumps. Cavs down 0-2. Jer, how you holding up? I'm I'm okay. I mean, obviously last night was rough, but I did find out a little nugget. Did you know that the Never Ending Glory podcast is the number one podcast with Sugardale Hot Dog mascots? Two out of three prefer Never Ending Glory uh, over any other podcast on iTunes, which we are now on iTunes, I'm very proud to say. That is very exciting. I did check on my phone the other day. Uh, if you go to the podcast app on your iPhone or iPad, you can search for Never Ending Glory Podcast and find us. I have no idea how to do it on an Android because I'm an Apple guy. So uh, for those who still use Androids, good luck. Figure it out. I'm sure if you just Google Never Ending Glory Podcast. Still on SoundCloud, to too. You can get it through there. Of course. Of course. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so... Very excited to to be the number one podcast for a hot dog stand. Apparently, I <laughs> didn't dog, know about that. Hot dog mascots based out of Cleveland. Oh, yeah, oh two perfect. Out of, two out of three prefer it. <laughs> We're also probably the number one podcast that goes over uh, New England and Ohio sports. Uh, it is a niche, but it's a pretty pretty popular niche, I'm sure. So, coast but we'll coast. take all the accolades we can. Um, this episode is brought to you by Mine and Jerry's Wallet. So, if anybody ever wants to sponsor <laughs> us again, Trillium Brewing Company, uh, please, we'd love it. But, anyways. It's neither here nor there. Uh, of course, we do have a special guest tonight back from his Vegas excursion, his Vegas sabbatical. We have Sean, a.k.a. Old Unit, a.k.a. Fecal Matter, a.k.a. Old Feek. Sean, welcome back. We've missed you. How was your Vegas vacation? Oh, it was fantastic. Won $1,200. Had to watch the Cavs blow one, but the Tribe got a sweep. So how happy about that and excited to join the number one podcast in Northeast Ohio and the greater New England area, as as you said earlier. He's absolutely right. Yeah, so as Sean mentioned, uh, the Cavs lost game one. Obviously, they lost game two as well in the, of the NBA Finals to the Golden State Warriors. The Tribe are hot right now, number one in the AL Central. And, of course, we will talk about my hometown team, the Boston Red Sox, who are currently number two in the AL East with a game in hand, or um, they have a game in hand on the Baltimore Orioles right now. So pretty, the AL East is a pretty tightly contested uh, race right now. Obviously it's way too early to really care about the playoff race, but any game, any game matters in in baseball, I guess when it gets down to September and October. Um, But so those are what, that's what we're talking about tonight. We'll talk NBA finals. We'll talk Indians. We'll, so we'll finally introduce the Indians for the first time uh, in the history of this podcast and introduce the Red Sox as well. Um, and of course, before we get going, though, find us on Twitter at Glory Podcast. Find us on Facebook, Never Ending Glory Podcast. Send us emails, negpodcast at gmail.com. And of course, we have a companion blog, uh, www.negpodcast.com. And now, find us on iTunes. So, as I alluded to earlier, the Cavs are down 0 2 to the Warriors. Game one was decent, but game two was an absolute joke. Sean, where do we go from here? Off season, Cleveland's favorite season. <laughs> I'd say the draft, but nobody cares about the NBA draft. We don't have any draft front office. I was going to say we traded all of them. So I think what we go from is where does Kevin Love end up and where does Kyrie Irving end up? Because I'm not sure that you keep. They definitely can't keep both of them. And I got a sneaking suspicion it's it's two gone versus just one. 
Well, I'm not ready to put the nail in the coffin yet on the series. Do I, I think am. the Cavs? Are, do I think the Cavs are going to come back and win? No, I don't. But they still have a few games at home, and anything could happen. We've seen them disappoint on the road and then come back at home and just turn into a totally different team. So maybe in front of the Cleveland faithful, we'll see a little bit more. Um, but before we put the nail in the series, Mr. Pessimistic, I know Jerry has some has some comments on how Game 1 and Game 2 went. So obviously the Cavs were outshot big time by the Warriors. Uh, in Game 2, or I'm sorry, in Game 1, Cavs shot 38.1% to Golden State's 49.4%. And in Game 2, the Cavs shot a putrid 35.4% to the Golden State Warriors' 54.3%. So that was just one of the issues in Game 1 and 2. But, Jer, what, what are some of the other issues that we saw in the first two games of the series? Well, you touched on one of the problems earlier, Sean, with being Kyrie. Kyrie is not really playing like a top uh, three player on our team right now. Um, one telling stat I saw actually from our friends at Cavalytics was that Kyrie is one of nine this series when just bringing the ball over across half court, not passing off of a switch and just dancing around with a big in front of him and pretending to drive and pull up and shoot. Um, that, that's unacceptable. I mean, there's a 48-point differential uh, in favor of the Warriors right now for the, the two games. And I, I, I want to be positive and have the Shaquille O'Neal take because last night on NBA TV – he says it could happen. Um, he referenced his team back in, I believe, 07 or 08 when they were down 02 and came back at 1. But they were not playing the best team in the NBA and probably the best team of this decade so far. Um, it's a historic team, and it's going to take a historical effort. We're not getting it out of Kyrie. Um, we're not getting it out of Kevin. I mean, obviously, he didn't only played uh, two-thirds of the game or even half the game with his um, – no call foul elbow to the head. Bull, yeah, bullshit. No call. Unbelievable. Um, I know. I understand if you want to make this a physical game, but th- there's there's different parts that are uh, I can reference that are not uh, no call worthy. That being one of them. Um, it's it, my biggest concern is when has the, the Cavaliers made the Warriors feel uncomfortable in any way, shape, or form? There's there's nothing that they've done to really take them out of what they want to do. We we look lost. We look out coached. We look out hustled. And we obviously look like we're trying to get out of Oracle and, and get back to Cleveland as soon as possible. Yeah, I mean, uh, truthfully, the Warriors want Kyrie to take those shots. They right. want him to go hero ball. He goes ahead and does it. The officials aren't helping us in early stages of the game or key situations of the game. And then there's situations where Curry's got three fouls, or LeBron has three fouls, Curry gets switched on him. And LeBron passes it for a missed three. They go down, get a three-point play on the other end, and then they sub Curry out. That was the sequence two minutes, 50 to go in the end of the second quarter last night. I mean, it's those types of things that we're losing games because of incompetence at our coaching position. Refs not helping in certain situations. And then the two guys that are supposed to be stars flat out aren't stars. They're just... They're phonies. They, they don't. They play on one end. They play flashy. They're and one guys. Well, Kevin Love's not an and one guy. I don't know what the hell. Kevin he is. Love's he's a better YMCA when he's, guy. He's, he's, well, he's, he's better when he's one. fat. Uh, he he lost all his like once he lost fat. He he lost all his powers. So I I don't know. It, it's it's super frustrating as a Cleveland fan. Just add it to you know the choke and these million other things that that we've got. Um, I think it's inevitable. I think it's a five-game series. I, maybe we win one here. 
maybe we win here Wednesday night and then the Golden State ratchets it up. They just have too many options. They come off the bench with three guys that would be fantastic for us because they know how to play team ball and Livingston, Iguodala, and Festus Azili. We just we're overmatched and we're not getting a, a heroic performance from LeBron. If anything, we're just kind of getting a in and out kind of effort and it's just not going to cut it and, we're getting, and everybody's taking cues off of it you mentioned coaching incompetence like one glaring missing part of this is why isn't Ty Lu playing Channing Fry? wouldn't Channing Fry be kind of that matchup nightmare for you know somebody on their team if they're playing small he's a well, big he can play out wide and he's, and he's shooting at a great clip of this this playoff run well, and the thing is, is when on the other end, when they switch and pick and rolls, he can at least defend a little bit, and his length right. is more problematic than Love. I actually think game three, Love isn't going to play, and it's actually going to turn into a situation where it actually helps Lou make a decision that he might get credit for when he just <laughs> lucked into it. Yeah, he's got to be part of the rotation. I mean, if he doesn't play... You're going to see Richard Jefferson and Channing Fry play well over 25 minutes, right? They can't play it. They just—they uh, can't play it. Richard Jefferson is is solid in the 20 minute bursts over a length of a whole series. He's going to start to deteriorate. We saw it with Delhi last year. We saw it with Shumpert last year. We saw it with these guys over the course of of a longer series when they play too many minutes. They're just ill equipped. Luke, what's? Well, I'm sorry, Luke, to interrupt, but what is your take on? Iman Shumpert's look he was sporting before the game and during the game with that, that jacked up hair. I mean, he's going Iman. straight he's going straight emo hot topic kid, right? Does he not like his dad? No, he, he's pretty he's got a lot of angst right there. Uh, he's definitely listened to the latest Hawthorne Heights disc, or maybe he's kicking it back to old school, you know, no, I can't make it on my own. All the good stuff. But uh, I, I I'll tell you what, you know, I think the big issue here is is you guys touched upon how the role players aren't playing well. Channing Fry is just not playing for whatever reason. Uh, Kyrie Irving is struggling. I think he's really being I don't. I think he's finally shown that maybe he's not a top three guy. I, I I think on another team he would be, but he's also one of those guys who needs his shots and he needs his shots to go down uh, in order to be effective, which is is that the goal sense, of any, but, any basketball player? Right, right. But what I, what I'm trying to say is that he's just a hot and a hot and cold player. He's not going to get you the consistent twenty points a game. It's either going to be high twenties or it's going to be twelve. I mean, last night he only got ten. Uh, I think the other big issue is is LeBron James is just not putting this team on his back, and I think that's what he needs to do. We all know that my role here in the NeverEnding Glory podcast is to criticize LeBron James, but I think that the media, everybody should be critical of his play. It's unacceptable, even though he only played 34 minutes last night, it's unacceptable for him to be putting up 19 points when Kevin Love is out with a little concussion or menstrual cycle, I'm not sure what. Kyrie Irving's shooting 5 for 4 and absolutely struggling. The only other player to shoot uh, to score double digits is Richard Jefferson. At this point, and we talked about this with the Cavalytics, we talked about this in our preview with Farkey. In these situations, LeBron James needs to turn into that guy. He needs to turn into the icon. He needs to turn into one of the best players in the NBA and overpower the the Golden State Warriors. I don't think there's anybody on the Warriors that can cover him when LeBron James wants to play hard and, and win. And right now, what happens is he gets soft. He sees his team down eight points at halftime. He sees his team down, what, 
20 points after the third, and all of a sudden he's just like, well, okay, I'm, I'm just going to kick it, and we'll, we're, we're going to Cleveland for game three. And I think when he plays like that, his team plays like that. And he needs to lead his team. He needs to inspire his team. And that is the biggest issue with the Cleveland Cavaliers, especially in game two. So I don't disagree with components of that. You can go back to look on YouTube. There's there's Larry Bird after Lakers trounced the Celtics in, I think, 84. He said, you guys, we played like a bunch of sissies, and they come out, and Mikhail clotheslines Rambis, and, and they get a win in, in the forum. So I, I don't disagree with components of that. However, what I will say is Andre Iguodala is a fantastic defender. And for as much as LeBron gets on him historically for points and an average, LeBron's lost a little bit. And Iguodala's maybe stayed more consistent in the same because he just doesn't have to play that many minutes over the past four or five years. Right. So that matchup's tightened a little bit. And I think he's gotten into LeBron's head a little bit. I also don't think he gets the benefit of some of these calls. I think obviously he gets a traveling call that works for his advantage on a drop step, but then he gets, you know, two other travelings that they're not calling him on the other end the same way. Right. So, and then when he goes to the basket versus Curry Thompson or anybody else for golden state, there's categorically a major difference in how they're refereeing one end versus the other. I, that you can call that a homer taking call, whatever you want that. I don't know how you can look at the video and the replays, and like Van Gundy said, it's really frustrating when there's not consistency on both ends. And he well, said and, that and in the as, second quarter yesterday. As an outsider, Sean, I agree with you 100%. I think that there's there were inconsistent calls last night. Uh, Golden State was definitely getting the benefit of the calls. And we look at the Kevin Love injury where there was just an yeah. no call. And that's, that's just, listen, if a dude gets elbowed in the head hard where he's going to be concussed, that should be a penalty. I mean, that's what the NBA is. It's an app. It's a foul. It is a foul. Um, and one thing I wanted to touch upon, too, I don't know if it's just me, but it looks like Iguodala might have lost a few pounds. And maybe that allows him to he, – he was a very, pretty jack guy with, uh, early on in his time with Golden State and with um, the 76ers. And it, it looks like he's kind of slimmed down a little bit. And I wonder well, he if doesn't that's drink. He doesn't drink alcohol, and I don't think he eats sugar. Like, he's he's one of these health nut guys. And I don't understand these guys like the AC Greens <laughs> that don't drink or, or you know, have – Premarital, premarital intercourse, or that don't drink. I don't get these cats, but <laughs> there's a reason why AC Green was playing with the Jerry Curl well into his 30s and was right. still as athletic as he was. Is because the dude went to bed at 10:30, and all these other cats staying out till four and three a.m. You know, you get the J.R. Smith result that we've gotten in the finals that, you know, that he's throwing up because you know I spend enough nights out in Vegas that. You stay up late enough, and you try and wake up the next morning. You're just, you know, you start to get up there in age. You're not, you're not throwing 98 the next day like you used to. <laughs> well, and it's funny too because their their rationale is, well, the game's not till eight, so I can sleep in till like 11 or 12. And I mean, the, the life of a pro athlete. We we can only we can only guess. I mean, I had a pretty hap- I had a pretty big following as a Division three swimmer, Baldwin Wallace College, and you know, I had my little my little groupies and all that. But I'm sure it's nothing like the NBA. <laughs> I, I would venture to say that. I, we have no comment on Division Three swimming. <laughs> we, have, we have no experience. Um, That's not how this became the number one podcast in Northeast Ohio. I'll tell you that. <laughs> not, not hot swimming takes, I'll tell you that much. So so after that joke fell flat, flat in its face, um, 
I mean, what can they turn it around? What do they need to do in order to turn turn it around at home at the queue on on what's the next game? Is it on? Uh, let's say Monday on oh, Wednesday. Wednesday. So Wednesday. what what do they have to do in order? Well, I to think turn it around? I think you got to experiment with a lineup. Um, there's got to be a run on during this game where we see possibly even like Delhi, Kyrie, LeBron, and. Uh, I would say a third guard and then get a, a, one of our bigs in there. Richard Jefferson would be a, a good tweener between a guard and a forward and then get out there with Channing Fry. I think experiment with that. That's a matchup problem for them uh, in a different way because you can't switch on anybody that you want. I I don't know what else you can do besides play harder. Play harder, you, effort, yeah, you and you've got to make them uncomfortable. It, you go back to last year. like Say what you will about the shortcomings of Del Vadova's game. He at least was like in Curry's face the whole time, and he still got his some you know part of the time, and, and eventually it led to you know him having to go to the hospital and getting IVs and stuff. But if we at least we stole a game in Oracle Arena. Like people need to remember that last year with a team that did not have I, uh, Kyrie Irving or have Kevin Love. And say that we're a more talented team this year. Sure, if you go off of the, the entire basis of the the regular season and the playoff run so far. But it's a one game series from now on. It has to be that sort of mentality. And and we got to make them uncomfortable. We got to get them off the rhythm. And if that means somebody's got to take a shot at, at one of these guys, I'm I'm not going to say that's a bad idea. I'm not. Well, and again, I don't think a shot is something dirty. It's just put Curry on his ass when he drives Playoff basketball. I mean, body him and, and make him get up or, or have someone run over to pick him up because he's too good to get up on his own. He's too busy chewing on that mouth guard. I, uh, th- that's all that that is that really Cleveland fans are pining for, and I think you know non-Golden State basketball fans are kind of like, can we at least make it somewhat difficult on, on some of these guys because they're just floating along. As for what the Cavs can do, I I honestly, I don't know that you can go small. You've got to find some way of still staying bigger because they can't rebound when they're small, and then they get tired and frustrated and give up even more. Right. And actually, I think when they go small, they have this tendency to feel even more comfortable switching everything on defense. I need to see some guys fighting through some damn screens and staying on man and guarding, you know, in someone's grill. I, that, that's been a big thing to me is, is Tyron Lue is kind of kowtowing to everything LeBron wants to do. And if you've watched LeBron over the past few years, he just wants to float on defense and, and kind of get up by on his reputation. He doesn't want to lock down and guard people like he did for Miami. That's why Miami was so damn suffocating is they picked up half court and they swallowed you. And LeBron did it because Wade did it. And, LeBron's not getting checked by anybody here and you know everybody's taking cues from LeBron then and then when you switch that much the Warriors pass it and then they get open guys and open layups and dunks and so I I feel like you've got to maintain some length I think you you keep Thompson you keep Fry you play kind of those four and five and you kind of have LeBron run the point with Kyrie as the off guard and and then kind of rotate Shump and JR and Jefferson at different points in time. But I think you have to keep a little length, actually, to keep these guys from, from dribble penetration. But then you also have to have to try and manage on the wings. Well, and, and Sean, you brought up a great point uh, that I think is very prevalent uh, in LeBron, LeBron James's game is that 
you know, when he was in Miami, he was surrounded by Dwayne Wade, and Dwayne Wade said, "This is how we play defense here in Miami." And you know, yeah. all three, all three of the big three undermined Eric Spolstra because this is the NBA; it's a star-driven league. Uh, and now we're seeing in Cleveland. I mean, Tyron Lue, what is that guy? I mean, he's he's a placeholder. We all know this is we all know Looks this like is like a salamander. He sucks. <laughs> <laughs> But we, we all know that this is LeBron James's team, and the team follows LeBron's lead. So you brought up a great point that if he's just going to float on defense, then everybody's going to float on defense. And I think that's, you know, the, the problem is, is LeBron just has way too much power on this team, and he just he isn't as smart as he thinks he is. That is the main problem. He needs to... I hate to say it, but like he needs Dwayne Wade here saying, "Hey, you're right." Checking him, saying, "No, this is how. Remember, this is how we play defense down in Miami. This is how we're playing defense back up here. This is how the offense is going to run." Because I just feel like we've seen too much where LeBron just settles for the the easy jumper or the you know the mid range jumper or the deep three. When listen, that's not where he's really made his bread and butter. I feel like I feel like he has to be physical. He has to get to the rim. He has to try to get that M one. And and that's how the Cavs are going to be alive in this in this series. And Jerry, you're absolutely right. It's a one game series. Every game they have to approach it as a one game series. And if they don't approach it that way on Wednesday night, then you know if, if they don't come out and have a hot start in Cleveland at home in front of the home crowd, because you know the crowd is going to be going wild for them. It, it it just goes to it'll just tell you that this team is just maybe they're already already defeated because we know we've talked about this before in past episodes. This is not a mentally strong team. Losing by thirty three points in Game Two of the NBA Finals on national TV with record breaking viewership, maybe they're already mentally defeated. And I really hope that's not the case because again, I want nothing more than a championship in Cleveland. But going down two games early to the Golden State Warriors is it's a scary scary situation. It's scary for sure, but I still think that we have a chance here in Game 3. If we win Game 3, I think we, we win Game 4, and then this thing goes to 7. That's my, that's my out-of-this-world crazy viewpoint. I, I, I as, think Kevin so. Millar, as Kevin Millar from the Boston Red Sox said, don't let us win one. Do not let us win one, baby. <laughs> uh, and my take is, you guys are both high because this <laughs> thing is over. I know. It, this is, and don't get me wrong. This is a historic, historic NBA team we're facing, but it's going to take a historic effort from, 20, from uh, 23. So it's going to take a historic effort from LeBron James to, to bring the Cavs back. And not only will he have to – you know, put up crazy numbers, or if he doesn't have to put up crazy numbers, he needs to inspire and lead this team. That's the only way they are going to come back from this 2-0 deficit. So, again, Cleveland, we're praying for you. I'm hoping that you have a shot, but it, it's looking very bleak now. And I was hoping that there might be a parade in a week and a half on them out there, but as of right now, it's looking a little bleak. But, you know, we talked a little bit about some negativity. Now... For once, for the first time in a while, let's talk about some positivity. As I mentioned, we haven't talked much about baseball because baseball is a friggin' long season, 162 games, but we're about 45, 50 games in now. And both our teams, they're at the top or near the top of their standings. Right now, the Indians are first in the AL Central, uh, and the Red Sox are number two in the AL East. And it's a, it's been a very, very close battle, both on 
the AL Central and the AL East. In the AL Central, you have four teams that are within three games of each other. Uh, the Tribe, the Royals, the White Sox, and the Tigers. And then the AL East, you have the Orioles, Sox, and um, the Blue Jays, who are both within a few games of each other for first place. So two very competitive divisions. Uh, it's looking. It's been really exciting so far. Red Sox have been hitting the ball, lights out. The pitching's starting to come around, but it's still a major issue. So, um, Sean, I want to hear what your thoughts are so far on the on the Red Sox and the Indians so far this season. So from a... From a tribe point of view, and naturally, I, I, I just got an update here that Danny Salazar's is going to be pushed back from a sharp start on Wednesday with shoulder fatigue. So that's fantastic. That's just kind of icing on the Cleveland cake, and it would be shit flavored icing. Um, <laughs> but as far as the team, I got I got to say they have stretches here where they've surprised the hell out of me. Um, they can't consistently hit. I think, you know, kind of week to week, like certainly the Red Sox can. I mean, that's a murderer's row type lineup um, that will be very interesting to see if it kind of continues through the season. But what the Indians do is they pitch like crazy, particularly from the starting pitching, um, kind of contrary to, to the white to the Red Sox. And the bullpen has actually held up pretty well. There was some shakiness at the start of the year, you know, the first 20 games or so. They've really settled into some nice roles across the board and even have a couple guys that if, if you know, somebody was dinged here or there, you can move up and slot in, Dan Otero being one, uh, you know, just kind of, really been a pleasant surprise and then there's some arms that they could potentially be bringing up here um over the coming uh months ahead and even the armstrong kid that they brought up here he's got he's got some strikeout potential some late inning potential and one of those guys that everybody needs a guy that they bring in in september that catches you know fire for six weeks and it's that go-to arm maybe in the sixth or seventh inning set up the natural rotations and that's been the big staple what the royals had last year and even the year before, and what some of these teams habitually have had uh, when it comes to, to having playoff success. you got to have some of those arms that come up. So I'm pleased with where the Tribe is here. They have stretches where they look awful. They have stretches where they look fantastic pitching-wise. Um, so the key for them is, is just trying to stay healthy enough. They've got to get Michael Brantley healthy. That falls into place, and then some things start to really roll nicely for him. But Brantley's a key. You probably need to, to, to weather another four to six weeks with him, probably to the All-Star break. And then if you can have him, it's as good as making a trade for an All-Star. And then maybe you got another young kid or two that they can pull up. And then hopefully the pitching just sustains itself. As for the Red Sox, I, I think that's the, the challenge for them is where are they going to get pitching You know, past – Past really price. I mean, the knuckleballer you guys got, I believe it's Stephen Wright. Yeah, he's an Indi- he's an Indians farmhand. He was a throw into a former, trade. Former second round pick. What what trade was that? Oh God, oh, damn, I can't remember. But it, you know, it wasn't anything. Um, so attention, you have him, and he's been vital for your guys' success. And we've got Napoli who's been critical to our success. So I think actually he's been the one thing that people were pining for all off season when we signed him, they weren't expecting as much, but he's been about as big of a surprise and as big of a free agent signing as there has been in baseball to, to actually aiding a one particular team. Yeah. So, and I, I want to go, we'll talk about Sox in a little bit here, but I want to go back and, and quickly talk about some of the players on, on the tribe that are, are pretty exciting right now. Obviously, you mentioned Mike Napoli, who I have experience watching. Uh, great, 
great hitter for the or power hitter for the Red Sox, and he's got 14 dingers so far this year. But I know you've talked about Francisco Lindor a lot, and you're really excited about him. He's having a great season so far. Uh, what can you tell us about him? So he's a top five value contract in the league, if not top three. He's a top ten player in the league right now, and he's basically only now in his first full season. So he's got roster control for, I believe, another six years after this. So from a team that's financially a little bit challenged, he's got immense value. But where he acts, I mean, it's on the field from 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 defensively to what he puts together at the three spot in the lineup doesn't strike out a lot, puts the ball in play, speed, hits it to all areas of the field, has a little bit of pop that I think over the next two or three years is going to develop even more. He's kind of more of a doubles guy now, but he's just a pain in the ass for teams to play against. And those are the type of guys that just gravitate and love. And in this day and age in baseball, and Boston's seeing this with about four or five guys, those pesky guys, the Pedroyas, that maybe have a little bit more talent, like a Betts and a Bogarts and a Bradley, those guys are really, really good in this day and age uh, of, of how the game shifted. It's more athletic now. It's a little bit more, you know, speed, get the spots. Get, you know, there's so much kind of overcoaching and shifts that sometimes that, that athleticism kind of is the thing that seems to be trumping all. So I, I, the future obviously is, is bright already. Um, he makes a play or two every few nights that remind Indians fans of Omar Vizquel, probably remind Cardinals fans of Ozzie Smith and you know Yankee fans of Derek Jeter, even though he's light years ahead of where Derek Jeter is defensively. It's not even close. So, um, But he has some of those Jeter-like intangible, intangibles. So that's, I think, the thing that's the most intriguing is he could be that type of guy because he's all about winning and – he just he's kind of infectious it's just it's really a pleasure to watch and it's nice from a draft perspective to have somebody to come up all the way through the system like this and it it probably can't say other than cc to have someone that people look this forward to that then delivered kind of out of the gate yeah and also i think another exciting player that or a younger player that's in team control for the next few years is jason kipnis who kind of turned it around he struggled there for a little bit had a, had a couple nice seasons but i think it was injuries that kind of shut him down for a little bit but you know he's back this year batting 271 got some pop with seven home runs 29 ribbies uh playing his solid defense at second right yeah, I think he feeds off Linder actually. Yeah. And the thing about Kipnis is, is you know, his OPS and stuff that that's more of of kind of where his value is, particularly for the position. Um, he's always been some somebody that's carried us for a month or two over the past mm-hmm. two to three years. I think last year he had a three month stretch and then he tails off. He just has these ebbs and flows. What he seemed to kind of mitigate this year is he's not having as, as significant of slumps, which is. Is, is helped us thus far. So it remains to be seen. I mean, that's why I say we could not, we go on a 10 game road trip here. We, we could go three and seven just as easily as we just, you know, swept the Royals and, 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 you know, kind of got into first place here. So we yeah. can run a little hot and cold, particularly with Salazar. We can probably ill afford that. We do have Carrasco back. Who's really our ace. And now the, the, the earlier season ace Kluber is, you know, two or three, but still has you know outings like he had against the Royals yesterday, where he, he's he's pretty much unhittable, um, if not for the rain delay. So, I think that you know the future and the, uh, there's reason to be optimistic. 
can we just stay healthy enough, kind of keep some guys, you know, locked in a little bit. And they've got some of these role players in a Jose Ramirez, um, you know, a Tyler Naquin, even Alani Chisenhall that are, are kind of fitting into their roles and then really kind of overperforming in those roles. And then you got the Rajay Davises and the Juan Arribes that you just hope you get a little bit out of, maybe a little bit more. And, and you know, Jan Gomes has got to get got to get better at the catcher position. But you get uh, Perez back. He gives you a little bit more opportunity to sit Gomes uh, more, and, and he can kind of balance those two playing, you know, two, three days a week, um, you know, each every other one. So there's there's reason for optimism. Got to keep pitching and kind of just weather the, the next four to six weeks, get Brantley back, you get a middle of the order, big guy, and then you kind of roll from there. Yeah, and, and you mentioned Corey Kluber, who's a guy I kind of want to talk about. Two years ago, he was the AL Cy Young winner. Uh, let's see, he had a 2 point, oh no, I'm sorry, uh, he had a 2.44 ERA, 18 wins, 9 losses. Um, he, he just obviously had the, the best season for the pitcher that year. But, you know, the next year, struggled a little bit. His ERA went up a point to 3.49. Obviously, he had a ton of losses, went 9-16. and 16. And this year, he's at 384, currently at 5-6. and six. It, what, what is he? Is he more of the, the guy that we saw in 2014? Or is he more of the guy that we saw, that we're seeing now or in 2015 with the mid-3 ERA? A little bit of both. Uh you know, his fastball velocities went up from the start of the year, so that's a pleasant surprise. When it was down lower, that's when he's got tendency to get kind of dinged around a little bit more. I think he's locating first pitch strikes uh, here the last couple outings. That's always key for him. You know, he he probably is not as good as he was in 14, but the record and the losses and stuff, he had a ton of quality starts last year. Yeah. Really had a lot of strong pitching performances. And what happened last year, actually, at different points in time, he got zero run support. We'd carry him into the seventh or the eighth, go through a lineup three times, maybe even flip to a fourth, and then he'd get caught with a couple cheap ones. I mean, that probably happened a handful of times last year. So the ERA, particularly in the American League, if you're mid-threes, low-threes, that that's probably a, a two-and-a-half in the National League. So yeah, for sure. to put it in perspective, he was still pretty damn good last year. But he just was awesome the year before. I mean, right. he was really fantastic when when he beats out Felix Hernandez for a Cy Young, and you know, really, we were one game away from from you know really competing in the in the playoffs. He felt like. Well, and and you bring up Felix Hernandez, who always gets dinged for having too many losses because he's always been on a poor team. But I really think that losses are probably the most overrated stat in baseball. Um, you look at a guy, even wins. Wins are very overrated as well. You look at a guy, Derek Lowe is a perfect example. He's a 20-game winner with the Red Sox, but he had like a 4 ERA. So he had the benefit of being on a good team, but, you know, great. You still had you had 20 wins. That's awesome, but you're still allowing 4 runs per 9 innings um versus you know the other guys who are probably more worthy at two and a half runs who aren't getting as much cred because they're not in the 20 win club so i think that yeah you know obviously kluber pitched well last year the 16 losses it's 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 a stupid stat it makes him look worse than he actually was but that does pop out when you look at his 2014 numbers when he had the mid two era with 18 wins and then the next year the era goes up a point and then he has 16 losses so i think you're right though i mean the the indians are in a great spot right now 
they're an exciting team to watch. They're fun to watch. I've watched a few games when we've played the Red Sox. I've watched a few when they were on TV here, and they're they seem like a good young team to watch and, and a fun team to see night in, night out. And a team that really the biggest thing about baseball, since it's such a long grind, is they they get along and they enjoy each other's company, and that's that's huge for the for the dugout. And I, I think that's the main reason why you saw. It. The Red Sox from 2000, was it 2013, 2014 when the World Series? Because that team just absolutely gelled. And the Indians, I think they got a shot. I mean, what, what, what were they at in Vegas? Did you put any money on them down in Vegas? Well, I bet them at the beginning of the year, I believe at 28 to 1. And now I, I think they're something like 12 to 1. Um, so they're, they're improved considerably. Division winner, they were kind of mulling around. And uh, so they had like the opening line and the current line. I, should have brought a sheet with me back, but um, they've they've made a considerable leap. So there's some hype being built into them, and 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 justifiably. So I, I yeah, so you know, as you're saying, so much of it at this point in the year is you just want to kind of weather. You want to get to the All Star break, and then you want to maybe see what the next three four weeks look like. Hopefully, a couple teams get get a little desperate to move some guys off the books. You saw James Shields get traded. The White Sox are trying to take a pass at that. You know, I've read some some things about how his his stuff just isn't there anymore, though. So it it, it might be a you know kind of a, a negative risk in the end. But you know, you never know. Some of the baseball guys are funny too. That change of scenery, yeah. a couple ticks in velocity here and there, and it makes all the difference in the world. So you know, particularly guys going from National League to American League, there's something to be said for watching your stats go to zero and you get to start over again, and you're not looking at an ERA of five or six that you're trying to work down, you're looking at something that's zero and that you're okay if it goes up a little bit. And, and the same thing can be said for averages. You're know, having played, you start off the season well and it kind of propels you through it. If you start off in a hole, you kind of feel like you're always kind of chasing that until you get hot for a couple couple games or a handful of that bats here or there. So, you know, it, it, it's kind of, you just want to weather, get to, get to kind of August, position yourself, get everybody healthy, and then, the playoffs this year. There's five teams in the National League. There's probably six good teams. So you know, that you, you could put a all of them in a hat and pick one out, and you can make a case for any one of them. The American League is the same way. Hell, the AL East is going to possibly be that way with how much bunching could take place there throughout the season as it goes along. So it, the American League is is wide open. There's not a dominant team. Um, not some of the dominant teams that are in the AL, but similar to the NBA, where you got a bunch of the three or four teams in in the West. You get the same thing in the NL, and you maybe got a handful of teams, but not that that kind of Cleveland in the AL like you have in the NBA. So it's going right. to be interesting. I think the playoffs. Anybody that makes it has a chance, particularly with some of the teams that have some depth at starting pitching. You get a couple guys that, that throw gems, and next thing you know, you're up 2-0 in a five-game series, and, and it gets really, really difficult for the other team. Well, and one thing that's really going to help you guys out right now is Mike Moustak is out for the season with a torn ACL after his collision with um, Alex Gordon, who's going to miss a few weeks with a broken bone in his wrist. So this is a good chance for Cleveland to really take that opportunity of losing two big bats from the, the defending champs lineup and you know maybe start to build a little bit of space in between you guys and the Royals, especially coming off to, off that sweep. So um, 
I like I like the Indians' chances this year to win the AL Central. And either way, I think probably one of the teams, one of the wild cards, is going to come out of the AL Central, and the other wild card will probably come out of the AL East, which is a perfect segue into finally getting around to uh, a Boston sporting team because for the past few weeks, all we've been ta- we've barely been talking about the Celtics. It's been mostly focused around uh, the Cleveland the Cleveland uh, Cavaliers, but now we can finally talk Boston Red Sox who are currently second in the AL East. Uh, they're, they're sitting rather pretty right now, 33-24. The Orioles are 32-23, and 23, so the Sox have played a few more games. And i got to say, I'm, I'm very surprised that they're here at this point. You know, We've had two last-place finishes for the past two years. It's been an, just an, uh, an ugly, ugly team. There's been a lot of drama uh, in regards to John Farrell sticking it to the sideline reporters. Um, Pablo Sandoval breaking his belt, swinging a bat, and then miraculously tearing something in his shoulder, probably lifting up his fork, um, and fortunately out for the season with a with that uh, shoulder surgery. Uh, but now, I mean, we're looking at the Red Sox, and this offense, as you alluded to, is basically murderer's row. I mean, right now they're number one in runs scored, hits, doubles. Total bases, RBI, average, OBP, slugging, OPS. The only major offensive stats they're not number one in is triples and home runs. But everything else, they're, they're, they are the best team in all of baseball. And How many home runs do you guys have as a team? That's You know what? That's a great question, and I will find that information for you. Uh, so I, here's, I, a, here's an interesting stat while you're looking that up. And it, it kind of shifts gears to show the futility of one particular team. I, I saw a stat: the Atlanta Braves are on pace as a team to hit 66 home runs this year <laughs> for the whole season. 66 home runs. Oh my god! I, what, what I was going is, is I'd venture to say that the Red Sox are going to have two guys that are going to out hit <laughs> their entire roster, at least in Ortiz and. I was think I was thinking maybe Bradley, but maybe he doesn't have as many home runs. But no, it'll probably maybe, it'll, be, it'll be Mookie Betts. It'll be Betts and Ortiz. Oh, that's well, yeah. He yeah. just went on a binge here lately, so yeah, yeah he, he could probably yeah. do it in three weeks to, with what <laughs> he, he was throwing up. Yeah, and I'll talk. Betts went five for seven, uh, five home runs and seven at bats. It was pretty pretty unreal. Luke, um, the Red Sox yeah. have seventy two home runs. Yeah, I just saw so, that. Yeah. Okay, so they have 72 home runs. They have six more than the Braves are projected. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, you know, June 4th or 5th or whatever. The, 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 Braves have, the Braves have 23. Ortiz has 16 home runs alone, so he's almost outslugged that whole team. Um, but so the Red Sox has 72, and they're ninth in the, in the major league. Surprisingly, Tampa Bay has the most home runs. Um, and, I, and I think what what that is, that shows you how good this team is at manufacturing runs. You had Xander Bogarts, you have David Ortiz and Jackie Bradley, who are all in the top, I think, five in batting average right now. Magically, and whatever PEDs he's taking, I I would love to take him. David Ortiz is 40 years old and has 16 home runs, 54 RBIs, and is batting 340 right now. Well, and his hand speed's there. I think that's the biggest thing from the last couple years for him is he legitimately swallows pitches that are up in the zone where he wasn't doing that before and he'd have his slow walk to the dugout and he'd kind of try, and and you could kind of feel like uh, he'd starting to to get to him and this year has been completely different so i don't know what they're doing in the dominican <laughs> i need to get down there for my achilles rehab i need to do whatever big poppy's doing to get right Seriously. but i'll say this i don't know why the hell he's retiring 
Well, he he said that everything hurts. He's always he he's always in pain. Um, you know, what would you rather do? Would you rather him retire now when he's on pace for a great year, or would you rather see him go out like Peyton Manning or play like he did four or five years ago, where the Red Sox were on the verge of cutting him? Um, I see what well, you're Peyton saying. Manning did win the Super Bowl this year as much as you hate I, to admit it. I know he did. I understand that. Um, but he had some great audibles in that Super Bowl. <laughs> His mind won the Super Bowl. But yeah. I see what you're saying. I mean, that and that's been a hot topic on Boston radio, sports radio. Should Ortiz retire? Should Ortiz retire? But I'll tell you what. If he doesn't retire, he's going to look like a jackass because they're doing all these, like, every time he goes to the, the stadium for the last time, the opposing stadium, like in Texas, he gets a, a cowboy hat. And if he goes to, I don't know, Baltimore, he gets crab cakes or some shit like that. I don't know. But – He's at the point where he's on his retirement tour. So if he comes back next year, like, does he just give everything back? I mean, that'd be kind of awkward. No, just run it back for more shit. That, like, <laughs> no one's ever done that before. I what's, think it's perfect. He wants to pop those Fritas and Friolis. Hey! That's a nice, a nice SNL reference right there. For, uh, <laughs> yeah, just it, just like uh, it, it, it would be the perfect thing. I actually feel like Brett Favre, this is where he missed his, his opportunity. True. He's hawking all these commercials even still. But that's the move is, is just keep running it back until people start getting really pissed off and don't give you anything. <laughs> that's a good point. I, I If I see him on the streets of Boston, I'll suggest that. You know, keep on getting free shit. Are you um, hanging out in the same place as Big Poppy is? Um, I mean, no, but Boston's a small city, so I can find him. <laughs> my, my buddy Goldberg's a CFO of the Pawtucket Red Sox. He can tell me where all the hot spots are. Um, but so David Ortiz has obviously been been lights out, but there's been other players in the in the lineup that have been fantastic for the Red Sox this year. Mookie Betts, I believe, is an MVP candidate. He's turned he's turned into an all around player. Uh, I remember when he came up in the system three years, two years ago at the end of the year, and he lit it up at the end of the season. And I'm like, who the hell is this Mookie guy? The only guy I remember is Mookie Blaylock from the old school Mookie. Hawks. But, uh, you know, bets. So I remember that offseason, the the Red Sox brass came out and said that bets is untradeable. I was like, are you serious? You know, if you get offered like a Matt Harvey for him, how do you not take that? And now looking at that, you know, hindsight hindsight's twenty twenty. I mean, Harvey's sucked it up, and and Betts is turning into an absolute star. Um, he's he's under control, just like you said about Lindor, uh, Mookie, and Xander Bogarts, who I'm going to talk about next. They're both under control for a long time, but both are Boris guys, so they're going to go to that end of the contract and wait until they finally hit free agency. They're not going to sign. They're, a team yeah, they're team. both Boris guys, yeah. huh? Yeah, so they'll they'll pull a Jacoby Ellsbury and probably sign with the Yankees and and suck once they get there. Yeah, you know what though, I do wonder with this TV deal. I think Bryce Harper is going to be the interesting one because he's going to happen before those guys. Yeah, they just did Strasburg with Boris. They did a four. They did basically a seven year with the four year out, and they paid what I thought was a massive deal. And then all the baseball people you read about is, oh, it's not that bad when you really look at it and how much starting pitching costs. I got a feeling Washington's going to get out in front of this and pay $400 million for Harper. I think that's the next wave of this is some of these teams and the Red Sox where they can afford it. They might just, you know, at least with one of them, probably Bogarts because shortstop's more of a premier position. You probably go and, and get super aggressive with the dollar amount. Um 
and then just it's almost too much to pass up. And if yeah. you do it now here in the next year or two, you do it at a point where the net present value over the, the length of the contract or the service time, it starts to make a hell of a lot of sense. Take the money now and then you create like an opt out, you know, in, in year five or six of the of the deal. Yeah, and you know what? And and I, the rumor I heard that in the off season, if you wanted to sign uh, Bogarts, you're looking at twenty five million a year. And at this point, he hadn't even come close to justifying that contract. But now the way he's playing right now, Bogarts, it might be thirty or thirty five. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's leading the league right now yeah. in in batting and has a chance to win the title. He's really taken a step forward as a defender on, at shortstop. Had a 26-game hit streak. He's he's just doing a great job in the three-hole for the Sox right now. So you're right. He might turn into a $30 million contract or $30 million a year contract. But I want to go real quick back to Strasburg's contract. And if you take a look at it, it comes out to be about $25 million a year. For a young guy like him, he's in his early 20s. That's, I mean, that's not a terrible deal. You look at comparison. I mean, the Red Sox just signed David Price to a seven-year, $210 million deal, and he's in his prime right now. Strasburg's not there yet. I understand Strasburg's got the Tommy John issues you got to worry about, but he's come back from that. He's been pretty close to dominant. So I think that's actually very fair market value for Strasburg. Hell, the Red Sox signed Rick Porcello to $20 million, which, which I thought was the biggest joke of a contract ever. But we're getting to the point right now where, the new $20 million a year contract guy is now $30 million a year for the frontline pitcher. That's just how it's happening. And, and you're right, with the new TV money and all the money being thrown around by these teams, it's just getting to the point where, and that's what I hate about baseball. I know the Red Sox are a big market team, but I hate the fact that there's no salary cap and there's no max contract in baseball. It's just like, at what point is it going to get ridiculous? So, you know, I mean, look at it. Pablo Sandoval signing a $20 million a year contract. Um Another good example of a terrible contract by the Red Sox is Carl Crawford's seven-year deal. He just got designated for assignment by the Los Angeles Dodgers. I mean, these contracts are getting out of control. So, you know, let's... Yeah, but here's the thing is, sooner or later it's going to burst. Of course. And then on top of that, all these contracts that are signed, these guys aren't that good. They're, They're actually... You're paying for past performance, not future projection versus a trout a harper a, a, a Betts, a bogarts you get those guys now this is the equivalent in year three of ellsbury signing him basically then and yeah. rather than him having a free agency when he did having it two years after that so i think right. that's where where this is going to shift to is you're going to start pulling forward and saying okay rather than have you overperform your contract now we're going to pay you more now so that we can buy an extra year or two before your free, free agent or buy an extra year or two after after you're, you're coming up for free agency. So I, I think that's the smart play. It's a win-win for both because if you do fizzle out in your Fausto Carmona, you also got $55 million out of this that you didn't have any chance of getting had you just played through your arbitration years. And that's what the Red Sox do with Dustin Pedroia. That's what they did with John Lester. And that's what they do with Clay Buckholz. And for some reason, they haven't cut that bum yet. So, um, yeah. That, but, that's, but I, the Red Sox also are really puzzling. You won't pay Lester, but then you'll sit there and you'll sign Porcella. Oh, you, 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 you'll, you'll go out and get these guys that I know. that are that don't make a hell of a lot of sense. And my thing with Strasburg is I just don't think in three years from now – He's going to be dominant. I don't think Bat Harvey is. 
there's certain guys that I don't like their second and third pitches, and if they don't have those, or if it's just a change-up to fastball difference, if you start to see that fastball creep down, then they become very, very hittable. And, and that's where you just have to get really, really careful when you look at contracts. The Indian signed Carrasco. He's making like $60 million. And, you know, if he hit the market, he's a $200 million guy. I mean, oh, the yeah. value they have on Carrasco, they could trade Carlos Carrasco for, for a superstar. And people would be puzzled by it. But the baseball guys, just they know the inherent value of that contract. Right. No, absolutely. And this is another great segue by you, Sean. And let's talk a little bit about the Red Sox pitching. You know, we've seen the the best offense in the major league right now, but unfortunately, the pitching's not great. Tenth uh, highest team ERA in the major leagues. Ninth most ninth most earned runs allowed. Fifth most fifth most walks allowed. But. They are sixth best uh, in in batting average against. So obviously the big signing in the offseason was David Price. He's come in, was god-awful in April, has kind of turned it around a little bit in May, and is now sporting. He's gone from a 9 ERA down to a high 4 ERA. And that's actually pretty pretty typical for David Price. Not that high. He starts off pretty slow, but he turns it around. And I think a lot of it has to do with the, uh, the, the move from signing the big contract. Lots of pressure. Uh, but I got to tell you what, he's been saying all the right things in the media. I think he actually cares. I think he's going to turn it around. Um, he's going to, he'll, he'll get back down to his mid threes. He'll be a solid number one. Will he be enough for the Sox to win a world series? I, I don't know yet. I think he's going to need a lot of help from the two, three, four pitchers. Um, but you know, he, he's, he's kind of, he worked on a tick where he wasn't bringing up his, his right leg enough, high enough, like he used to. And ever since that, that's been a huge reason why his ERA has dipped down a little bit. Um, we mentioned Rick Porcello. I still don't understand why the hell we signed that guy to the contract that we signed him to. He had never pitched a ball as a Boston Red Sox, and they gave him a five-year, $100 million contract. Again, the the new $20 million pitcher is $30 million, so now maybe the new $15 million guy is $20 million a year. And at that point, Porcello wasn't terrible, but he had a pretty forgettable season last year and just an absolute waste of a season. He started off well this year. He's got his ERA back down to a four, so it's better than last year, but he, he is pitching. He, he's serviceable. He's not your number two. He'd be a great three or four. But fortunately, we have former Indian second-round pick, and I, I looked this up. Stephen Wright was actually traded for Lars Anderson, who was a – he was a <laughs> – he was actually a pretty big prospect, first baseman. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was yeah. supposed to be the next 40 home run guy in the Red Sox system. And every time, I remember watching him, every time he came up to the big leagues, he sucked. The guy was terrible. He he never, and I actually saw him play at uh, in AA in Portland, Portland, Maine, and he just was god awful. So, so thank you very much for Stephen Wright. Um, yeah, that was when our phase when we brought in like three first basemen that we just wanted to try and take a a swing at some guys with pop and for whatever reason Wright wasn't a knuckleballer he started to develop it in our system and he showed some promise and I, I i really don't know what the hell we were thinking on that deal so for all these good deals that we've made that certainly would be one that was pretty damn awful right and you know steven Wright right now has the best era on the red sox he's throwing at 2.29 um 
I mean, what can you say about him? He, the Red Sox have a long history of knuckleballers. Tim Wakefield was always the guy, night in, night out, whose ball would flutter here and there. But you, you really can't trust knuckleballers. Uh, the, the ball will dance one night, and the next night it won't go anywhere. Um, but he, he set a record. <laughs> Stephen Wright set a record for most pass balls in one inning with four because, obviously, it's so hard to catch the uh, to catch the knuckleball. But he's been a pleasant surprise. Again, he's not sustainable as a two or as a one. Uh, he needs to – the, the Sox really need to bring in a veteran presence to to come in and be that second guy behind David Price, possibly the third guy. Um, you know, Clay Buckholz isn't that guy. Clay sucks. We know what he is. We've been down this road before. <laughs> He's great for the first time through the lineup, and then the next time he sees the lineup at about the fourth inning – he sucks. The guy is god-awful. He lets up home run after home run after home run. So at what point do the Red Sox finally just cut bait with this guy? I mean, they could have traded him in the offseason, but like, no, let's sign him to the one-year deal, see what we can get out of him. We know what he's got. He's got great stuff. But the guy sucks. Everybody hates him. All he does is make excuses. Well, I, I felt good. I, this is the best I've ever felt. This is the best. Okay, then why do you suck so bad? I mean, you know, you guys almost got him in the Masterson trade, um, but Fortunately for you guys, you didn't. You know, Masterson kind of fizzled out with you. But, uh, you know, Buckholz has really worn out his welcome in Boston. I think this has got to be the last year with him. And if it isn't, then ugh, I can't stand watching him pitch every five starts. So if I look at the if I look at the Red Sox, I think you have to find a way to get another arm. I don't. I'm not a huge fan of your bullpen. You overwork uh, Tazawa. And you are uh, Kimbrel. <laughs> you also well, I gotta, have a couple automatic outs yeah. in in your lineup with catcher, with that third outfielder spot, and you know I I don't know how much you, you love Travis Shaw. I, you, your bench is really thin. I, if you guys have a slump or somebody gets dinged or Hanley kind of goes back to being Hanley. It, you, you could have some kind of souring, though, at the same time. So I, it's going to be very interesting to see how the Red Sox, you know, play over the next four to six weeks to the All-Star break and then what it kind of dictates or directionally what it allows for them to do. Because, you know, I kind of look at, at who you guys have in your pitching staff and then I go back to this offseason and you didn't really make a, a huge attempt to go out and sign, you know, a, another kind of three or four pitcher um, you just kind of just rode with what you had. They've either got to be kind of building for something or leaning on that farm system to, to rely on to maybe make a trade here or there. You know, I don't know how well he pitched in that ballpark, but James Shields would have been kind of a nice buy low candidate for you guys just to kind of, you know, throw shit at the wall. Well, there was there was a rumor before Sandoval got shoulder surgery that because the Padres were big on Sandoval during the free agency process that oh, they were you're looking never going to be able to trade him now. Well, not not anymore, absolutely not. But before he got hurt and before he weighed five hundred pounds, um, <sighs> they were going to do a shield for Sandoval contract swap with with the Sox, maybe picking up a few dollars off of paid, uh, Pablo's deal. A few uh, <laughs> and and liposuction and Botox and stuff and everything else, right? Unfortunately, we, we missed out on that opportunity, um, and and Shields is a Chicago White Sox. Um, you know, Shields. Yeah, I think that I think that when I don't think he's a great pitcher, but you, he would have been a solid veteran presence. You know, as a three or four guy um, to go back on the bullpen. 
we really put a lot of stock in Carson Smith. Uh, they traded. Um, oh my God, it was the other yeah. That was a huge injury. Yeah, they they traded um, a star. I can't I can't think of the guy's name off the top of my head, but they traded a starting pitcher, Wade Miley. They traded Wade Miley in the offseason for him, and they brought Sucked. in. <laughs> but but they brought in um, Carson Smith, thinking that he's going to be the setup guy for Kimbrell. Unfortunately, you know, a, a tweak in the forearm, and now Carson Smith's going to get Tommy John. So that was a huge loss for the bullpen. But you still, have, you know, you mentioned you have Koji Uehara, who's he's in his early 40s, so he's slowing down. Junichi Shizawa, he's just a guy. Um, and you also mentioned Craig Kimbrell, who he started off the season wild, erratic, and really struggled. He still is pretty wild and erratic. I, I, only, I never really watched Kimbrell before he came to Boston, but, you know, I always just saw the numbers. The numbers were great. The ERA was under a one. The whip was under a one. The guy looked like a stud. And then I watched him, and the guy throws a ton of balls. He throws. Yeah. He's, he's all over the place, absolutely all over the place. So, you know, again, he's still a good closer, and, and even though I think they might have overpaid for him because you can find a closer anywhere. I mean, that's how we got Uyara a couple years ago when they won the World Series. He came out of nowhere. Um they probably could have done the same thing, but if you think your team's going to compete, why not bring the the cream of the crop? And you know the Red Sox obviously have the contract, or the the um, not the cap space, but they have the salary space form in their budget. So I, I guess you really can't hate it. But I mean, you know, the as long as the Sox bats don't cool down anytime soon, they have a chance to come in every night and put up eight runs and get the W. So uh, they really need to work on that pitching staff and. Try to shore that up a little bit, build some depth. Unfortunately, there's nothing in the AAA system, AA system that could come up tomorrow and and really be an impactful player. They brought Henry Owens up, who's, again, supposed to be the next guy, the next frontline starter, and he's never really grasped that opportunity in the past two years. So, really, they're running out of options. Joe Kelly went to the disabled list, and he was a solid, again, solid veteran presence. Um and it's just it's to the point right now where they need to make sure they shore up that pitching spot and that pitching rotation. Until then, it's going to be a dogfight in AL East. You have the Blue Jays, you have the Orioles. All three teams are fortunately they're all pretty similar in that they're they're both going to mash the ball. They're both going to score a ton of runs. Uh, they don't have all three teams don't have great pitching. They have decent pitching, but it's not great. So definitely the AL East is a really interesting uh, battle to keep an eye on as we move forward this summer. With baseball being baseball, we probably won't be talking every every episode, right, Jerry? I'm, oh, I'm sorry. Him. I'm sorry. We, we lost him. Was, was, <laughs> I blacked out. I blacked out. What happened? I was just mentioning that we probably won't talk baseball every every uh, episode unless we just don't want to hear your voice. Well, if you want to talk about how very intriguing those, idea there, Luke. how cold those two dollar <laughs> beers at uh, Progressive Field are. That's about all I know. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. So, any all right. So, any closing comments, Sean? You know, we talked tribe, we talked socks, we talked calves. Anything you got to, to sign off with? No, I'm I'm ready. Any Salazar in three days to have to have shoulder surgery. Michael Brantley to be out ruled out for the year, and then um, you know, God forbid something else happened to another one of our guys, and then the the full Cleveland curse of me even oh, doing so a they, podcast. Optimistically on the tribe. Comes so the, into Cleveland, effect, the so. Cleveland pessimistic Sean is out. He's out. Yeah, He's you, angry. You, oh, you, you guys in Boston, are you nineteen 
1919, whatever that bullshit. 1918. 1918. The Cubs are 1919, right? Right, right. Well, whatever it is. Yeah, now we've taken the taken the mantle from you because at least Chicago <laughs> has a hell of a lot of other sports teams that have won something in the past 30 years. You're right. So the typical Cleveland fan, we're back to the negativity. And uh, don't worry, we're about 95 days away from uh, Brown season. So. So you can work hey, out all those hot sports sticks. Don't sleep on the Lake Erie Monsters, the AHL possible champions. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all the time we have for tonight. Sean, thank you again for joining us. It's always a pleasure. Um, Number one out. podcast. Number one podcast, that niche podcast, baby, Northeast Ohio, all the way to Boston. Um, be sure to check us out on Twitter at Glory Podcast. You can find me L- at Elgrilly88. Find Burris at B-U-R-R-I-S-40. Of course, on Twitter, never ending, I'm sorry, on Facebook, Never Ending Glory Podcast. Send us an email, negpodcast at gmail.com. And of course, we're so excited to announce that uh, iTunes really liked our hot sports takes. And you can find us on iTunes. So be sure to subscribe and make sure every new episode gets downloaded immediately to your smartphone. Um, Jerry, you know, I, I hope you save those words for uh, Thursday night's episode where we talk about how the Cavs came back and dominated by 20 so save up those words bud we'll talk soon okay I'll take a win by one I mean, I don't have to win by 20 whoa, whoa 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 an exciting game in this NBA playoffs impossible there's no way no way not gonna happen yes, not, not gonna, gonna happen. happen and with that we're off this is the never ending glory podcast thank you very much for listening and we'll, t- we'll chat soon